This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Matt Bryars, CFO of TransferWise, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 642. to develop an FP&A capability that allowed the executive team internally to have a set of metrics by which we understood and managed the business and ultimately reported out to our investors and our board. We also needed to partner closely with the sales team to help them optimize um, pricing uh, and, and be able to close strategic accounts, especially ones where we knew having a customer of a certain size, eventually there was gonna be growth in the future, so we're willing to take a little less margin today in order to win the win the contract. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Sachin Patel, CFO of Apixio. Sachin began his professional life as a system engineer at companies like Cisco and IBM. He went back for an MBA and became an investment banker with Citigroup before getting an operations itch and advancing into a number of different CFO roles. The latest at Apixio, specializing in AI analytics solutions designed to make healthcare data actionable. Our discussion with CFO Sachin Patel begins after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does your need to adapt your need to evolve your need to grow that's why we built workday a single finance hr and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves to learn how workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence visit us at workday.com Speaking with Sachin Patel, CFO of Apixio. Sachin, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Sachin, as always, we begin by asking our guests to look back for us and share some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, appreciate it. Uh, grew up work in a small town um, back in Texas, and my parents actually owned a couple of different businesses. Um, so that's essentially what we did growing up. It was in hospitality, real estate, um, some small manufacturing. So that uh, I mentioned that for a reason, um, because after going to undergrad, I actually ended up going into engineering. Um, so I worked at Cisco and IBM, uh, realized along the way that I was a mediocre engineer. and also had interest in other areas, having that background from when I was young. Um, so I decided to go back, as many folks do, for an MBA. Following that, I went into investment banking uh, just to get that core set of skills that are transferable. But um, I always knew, based on the background in the family business, that I'd, I'd be moving into um, industry at some point and certainly learned a ton while I was in investment banking. Um, and I suspect many folks that you've spoken with also have uh, you know, much the same sort of background. Um, but what really occurred to me along the way was that a couple of skills or so I think that I have um, around 
helping teams come together and coalesce and then taking a bunch of complexity and really distilling it down into key levers around decision-making were uh, areas that I could help bring into an industry role. After the uh, investment banking experience, um, you know, and I must credit the team that we had, I was uh, able to move over to a company called Vantage Oncology, which was a national radiation therapy provider network, um, uh, treating cancer patients as the name would suggest. I joined as director of finance there and eventually moved up to VP of finance and controller, um, broad range of activities, uh, ranging from building out the FP&A team to um, working on obviously the, the controllership side, but also um, supporting on business development and ultimately um, working on a close knit team that um, helped to successfully exit the business. Um, the interesting thing, you know, the role certainly allowed me to stretch in many different ways, um, taking on the responsibilities that I mentioned, understanding how a PE-backed business operates. But an interesting wrinkle was that the opportunity was a little bit uh, unique in that my one of my business school classmates actually recruited me to the organization, and I reported to him. And, you know, it, it could have been awkward, um, but we both made a really concerted effort to make sure that we could work together cohesively. He understood I wanted to make that shift into industry. Um, he had been with Vantage Oncology for many years, even before business school. So I really must credit, you know, um, my friend Brian and our CEO Mike and many others, you know, at Vantage that really gave me the opportunity to propel my career. Um, and ultimately that led to joining Apixio and continuing my journey in healthcare, which, which I've enjoyed. Uh, it's always good to be in an industry that you feel strongly about. Um, going back way back when I actually worked uh, a lot growing up with some family members uh, at MD Anderson Cancer Center back in Houston. So the healthcare thing is important to me. Um, and, you know, when I joined Apixio, it was clear to me that um, Darren, our CEO, would also provide a wide range of opportunities to contribute to the growth of the business. As you might imagine, being a VC-backed business, there's a natural need to dip into many other areas. And so that that mindset is something that I look for. Um, being available in a role. So being overly sort of focused in one area is not as um, uh, much of a natural fit for me. So I just want to touch on that early, early chapter where um, Cisco and IBM, two companies that would uh, distinguish any resume. And is it because you didn't have the passion or the interest? How would you characterize that that gut feeling. And it's not a pleasant feeling sometimes. What would you tell us? Yeah, um, I think that's right. I think, you know, there is a, a, a part of it that's, you know, that natural interest. And I think all of us today, you know, we all have a natural inclination and interest in technology. I certainly grew up, you know, with a strong interest, was always um, interested in math and science. Um, but candidly, I also had an, in, an equal interest, if not more so, um, you know, in writing and you know, using that side of the brain as well. And so one of the things that as an engineer you don't get to do as often is actually articulate what you did in the written word, in prose, or even in a verbal context. And so um, just having that not be a feature of the job was something I think that started to, to occur to me. And then also just, as I mentioned, that, that desire to wanna be working on numerous different things or helping to shape the business strategy at a at a broader level. Those are the things that led me to to realize that I should go back, you know, get some additional training in, in school, and then make a transition from there. But um, obviously, being at Apixio, which is also a technology based healthcare company, um, 
that's still a thread that's important to me. Did you already uh, determine that you wanted to go to Wall Street or however you'd like to phrase it? Was it finance was in the back of your mind that first day of class? Uh, was it already established or did you give yourself a wider berth than that? I looked at, at two areas. I looked at the most common, you know, which would be investment banking and finance, um, as well as uh, consulting, um, strategy consulting. So I actually pursued both, which probably wasn't a, a wise decision from a time management standpoint, but I pursued both. And ultimately, my dad had been in finance as well. So I think there was just a natural more inclination that way. Um, and I think the, the as you mentioned, there's that common wiring perhaps with uh, engineers who move into finance where the, the numbers kind of draw you in. That probably was the way that I went. I just want to uh, quickly circle back to that anecdote that you shared uh, about your colleague. It just illustrated so nicely that at one point in your career, uh, you might be reporting to someone and then it reverses and then it reverses again. And uh, can you share a little bit about the mindset that you had under those circumstances? Yeah, um, you know, it wasn't it's never an easy thing. Right. So I think you you have to realize that. But we very quickly up front, it was good that we had the baseline of a of a friendship. But sometimes that can also lead to, um, you know, a little bit more ruffling, if you will. Uh, but what ended up working out well is about five or six weeks in, we just said, okay, these are the things you'll work on. These are the things I'll work on and kind of divide and conquer approach with step one. And then step two, it's really, you know, sort of incumbent upon me to say, he's the one making the call. I got to do this job. And candidly, he had been with the company for so long that there's a ton for me to learn along the way. So I think it's just being able to realize this is a unique opportunity to work with him, work with several other people in the organization that just were so high powered that use it as a learning opportunity, play the role that's being asked of you, um, make that transition a successful one from investment banking into an in-house role um, and it'll work out. And, you know, it has. And so um, I think it's a lot of it is it's actually on, I think, the person who is uh, reporting into that person. So sort of the person down to, to make that decision. Okay, well, thank you for permitting me to ask you a few additional questions there. We might have a few more career-related questions for you during the mentoring round. But right now, let's find out about Apixio. Tell us about this company. What does it do and what are its offerings today? Sure. So Apixio has developed an AI platform that takes unstructured data and makes it readable by a machine and structured um, as such for multiple use cases. Um, and we serve health plans and provider groups, largely at-risk provider groups within the healthcare landscape. And there's multiple use cases for our technology. The one where we've uh, made our initial um, name in the market is around risk adjustment, which is part of the process for Medicare Advantage populations, as you may know. Um, and additionally, we have products in the quality realm that help um, provider groups and plans to establish their quality ratings. All of this technology underpinning can be used in many other ways, of course, um, within healthcare, as, as I'm sure you've read about, that many companies are trying to do as well um, to help address risk, uh, risk stratification around healthcare populations or patient populations, I should say, and also deliver high quality care in a cost-effective manner. Now, could you provide us with maybe a short Short history here in terms of the company's capital structure or what stage company this is today? 
Sure. Um, so the company uh, has been uh, around for several years. Um, we were founded in 2009. Our CEO, um, Darren, began in the role in 2015. And that's really when we sort of, you know, began the journey of the company finding a product market fit. Um, we are, we've raised four rounds of, of capital. Um, so we raised a Series D a few years ago. Uh, our lead investor is Bain Capital Ventures, and they hold the largest position in our capital structure. We haven't raised in a few years because we are in a fortunate position where we're essentially break-even cash flow by design. We reinvest all of our dollars into R&D efforts. Um, and additionally, we also have you know, an opportunity this year certainly to generate a meaningful positive cash flow. So it's nice to be a part of a business like that where you can control your own destiny. So when you first arrive, were there certain priorities that you had? Uh, can you give us a sense of what you immediately as a finance leader felt you needed to address? Sure. So um, we had and we still have a small finance team here. Um, but at that time, it was literally one person. We had a controller who remains with the business um, today and has done an exceptional job. But we needed to build around that um, and prepare the organization for long-term growth. So we were already at a meaningful level of revenue, break even on cash flow, but we knew we had a tremendous amount of revenue growth ahead of us, which we have seen manifest over the last few years. So in order to prepare for that, we needed to develop an FP&A capability that allowed the executive team internally to have a set of metrics by which we understood and managed the business and ultimately reported out to our investors and our board. We also needed to partner closely with the sales team to help them optimize um, pricing uh, and, and be able to close strategic accounts, especially ones where we knew having a customer of a certain size, eventually there was going to be growth in the future. So we're willing to take a little less margin today in order to win the, win the contract um, and working closely with them on a, on a thoughtful way to, to price the various solutions we offered um, was one example. We've also worked with them on many other ad hoc analyses. Um, additionally, there was a big push to work with operations and engineering to help us internally make the right decisions, come up with strategies to manage spend. Certainly, um, as you might imagine, being a SaaS technology platform, we have a tremendous amount of cloud expense. Uh, AWS is what we use. And so there's ways to manage that and come up with strategies um, in partnership with engineering, you know, writing custom scripts and things like that, um, that are eventually kind of fed with information from the finance side as well um, to be able to manage your cloud expense, things like that, just to give you a flavor. Those are the areas that we really need to get ready, ultimately to be able to scale so that when we make a decision, we can make it efficiently and we're able to serve our customers. There are certain things on the operations side as well, where we provide third-party support sometimes to our customers if they don't have um, enough folks internally to manage the workflow that they have. And being able to correctly structure that uh, was another part, example, I should say, uh, of an initiative that we were tasked with. But overall, kind of wrapping it, uh, putting a wrapper around it, it was all in the in the uh, name of being prepared to to grow into what we are today. And we've built around that. You know, added a couple of folks to the team as well. You emphasize that uh, close collaboration between sales and finance. I'm wondering if there is maybe um, certain metrics that you and the sales team uh, study closely together. Uh, just to give us a sense that your lines of sight into the sales <coughs> funnel has certainly 
most likely increased. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about whether that's happened or that that uh, line of sight that you have there is being lengthened? Sure. So our, our sales team does a great job of maintaining um, a very live pipeline for us. So anytime, you know, and, and being a technology company, we keep this all very much readily available on various tools that we use here internally. And at any moment in time, we can see where the bookings are trending, product mix, revenue mix, things like that. Uh, and we use that. So on the, the way that we typically do it is when we put our, our budget together, we obviously work with them to kind of set that up at the beginning of the year, but we're measuring against that on a live basis. So we always understand what the funnel looks like, the stages of the opportunities. And then we we make our decisions on a on a weekly or monthly basis based on how that's looking. It's it's a key item, if not the top topic in, in our weekly staff meetings with our CEO. Uh, and then from there, we also work with them, as I mentioned, on some of the key accounts to ensure that we're providing the right support from our end to make sure that, hey, you've got budget here to do this. If you need to do that to close the deal, do we need to provide any additional um, you know, guidance or, or support bringing in the operations team? Let's have that discussion. So we always have that very, uh, very much available to us and we're working closely with them on that. We also look in most of our deals when we price them, um, we're really particular about margin on our end. Um, and the reason for that is we do certainly view ourselves as a technology company. Our financial profile, if you were to take a look at it, reads as such, particularly within the landscape of healthcare IT. We're actually, I think, distinctly, distinctively positioned with a gross margin profile that reads much more like a technology company. And so that's important to us. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're able to, to invest dollars or put them appropriately in places where we need to, to, to close deals with the sales team. So is there a way you made those numbers more visible to the sales team? Yeah. So we developed uh, an in-house pricing tool um, for each of our solutions that we offer. And so based on our experience set of whatever, what the different components of the expense were, whether it's it's human time from the operations team over to expense that I mentioned, anything else that all gets folded into there, uh, all gets folded into there, I should say, and then we can set the pricing based on that. And this tool allows them to check each of their contracts um, or, or sort of negotiate as they're negotiating, they can check those, um, those margins using that tool. Ultimately, that goes to our um, chief growth officer um, who oversees that. And then if we need to make any additional, you know, decisions around that, we meet as a group. But it's become part of the practice, and I think they were actually looking for that. Being that we are developing new solutions, it's you're not entirely sure when you're how we should price those in the market when it's a new solution. Um, many times, you know, there's a lot of puts and takes there that you have to consider. And so um, early on, it was a very much live discussion, but now it's part of the standard process um, and and very much something we we follow. We have, of course, uh, been speaking to finance leaders about the pandemic and how they're responding to it. How has this business, this opportunity that you're pursuing, how has it been impacted? Sure. Um, so, you know, what's interesting is for us, uh, the shift as a company to working in a remote setting was actually quite straightforward because everything we do is, is set up as such, just being a technology first company. So that part, getting folks equipped to work from home, and they already were in many cases, particularly half of our team is engineers. So that's, that's you know, how they traditionally operate. Um, for some of the DNA functions, there was a little bit of wrinkles, but nothing major by any stretch of the imagination. 
Um, so as a company, it's been fine for us. What's been interesting is when we talk to our customers, um, being health plans and provider groups, uh, they are the ones who are feeling the real impacts, right? Patients aren't coming in as much. So um, when you don't have patient visits, some of the data that we use to feed from the, the data from them that we use to feed into our platform, that's what gets impacted. Um, so that's where we're, we're trying to work with them to come up with creative solutions to make sure that we can help them um, capture the information and ultimately achieve their goals through using our software solution. Sachin, we often uh, ask for what we refer to as a uh, finance strategic moment, and this might have happened anytime during the course of your career, really, uh, but it's where your lines of sight into the numbers allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk. Anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, um, I think, you know, for... The, the example that comes to mind, just working off of the conversation we've been having, particularly here at Apixio, is we were we were guarded about that that margin profile, right? We were very particular about it. And then we realized that um, there's many other components to our numbers that we can manage better to free up those dollars to win more business. And what we were able to do is understand that from a valuation perspective, moving from X to, you know, 1.1 X margin um, may not be as um, important to us as having higher revenue growth. So let's orient around that. Let's take the additional dollars we have and maybe give a little here, invest a little there and make sure that we're driving that top line growth uh, because ultimately there's a finite universe of health plans and provider groups after which um, the sales team can go. But once you're in there, the opportunity to sell more is really where the sizzle is. And so it's important to sort of win the day. And that became something that the management team ranging from operations and engineering over to obviously sales and marketing, everyone could coalesce around. When we return, CFO Sachin Patel enters the mentoring round. Technology adoption, business partnership, strategic direction, resource optimization, and honestly, scalability, right? We are past the point in business of throwing people to solve problems. Like, let's take a five second pause and RIP to that business strategy, right? <laughs> you can't just throw people to solve problems anymore. Hi, I'm Rowan Tonkin your host at Being Planful. You just heard from Chris Ortega, a recent guest on the show. If you want to hear from guests like Chris talking about today's trends for tomorrow's FBA leaders, you can subscribe at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcast. The business landscape is changing quickly as the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. 
To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're going to jump to what we refer to now as our mentoring round, which is where we ask you just several quick questions intended to allow you to inform and uh, educate future finance leaders. want you to think back again to that that first CFO role or that first finance leadership role that you stepped into. And at the time, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah. Um, and I haven't done this well, um, you know, even as I look back since then, but I would still give myself the same advice, you know, five years ago, seven years ago and today, which is upfront, it's really important, you know, typically finance teams, especially in these constructs, and I, I, as I've observed, you know, even in, in larger companies are typically a little bit more lean. Um, and so it's really important to advocate upfront once you've assessed the situation in your first call it 90 days, 120 days for the right mix of talent, because you will most likely have anywhere from two to five team members that you can bring on early. Again, you know, with the backdrop of, of the types of organizations that I've worked with. And you need to make sure that each of those are the absolute highest powered resources that you can hire. And you have to be really, really particular about that. Um, and that will allow you to accomplish a lot. Otherwise, I think many times, you know, you end up behind the eight ball chasing the information yourself, right? And if you're going to, to be partnering across lanes, you need to be able to step back ensure that the information coming to you is, is high quality, and then you can make the right business decision along with your partners. Sachin, we always ask our guests to reflect a little bit on the personal side. Uh, we like to understand better uh, whether there's a personal habit or a part of their routine uh, that over time they've adopted and it's just part of their regiment, their daily regiment perhaps. Um, is there anything that you do that you believe has in some way paid uh, dividends on the professional side, but something you do personally? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and this is a, a bit of a professional response, but I'll, I'll give you an example of where we, I learned about it, I should say, or crystallized it. For me, it's a simple phrase of just do the work every day. Um, and it sounds simple, but I think, you know, sometimes you can become complacent and rely on your instincts, but I think it's really important, particularly in this range of work to make sure that you're putting in that work every day. And a friend of mine recently told me about, um, Jerry Seinfeld's, uh, you know, orientation around this, where he said, don't break the chain is his quote, which is every day he wrote X number of jokes. And so, you know, and he marked it off on a calendar. And so similarly, I think, you know, you have to sort of do the work every day, not sort of, you have to do the work every day. Uh, and I think that's what I try to live by. And, and sometimes, you know, at, at, at the impact of other parts of life, but it's been helpful to me, certainly. Is there a book you'd recommend for us? Yeah. Um, so a couple of years ago, a friend recommended a book that I think, um, you know, not intended to be political by any means here, but um, the book is called Decision Points by George W. Bush. And you know, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, the interesting thing is um, when you read it, you're reading someone's uh, view of how they took various pieces of data and trusted advisors input and then made a decision. And the reason that I found it an interesting read was the fact that you know, in a finance role, you're dealing with tons of different data sets. They can tell you different things. At some point you have to say, I'm gonna wait this one more than that one, or 
this is the right direction to go and you have to commit to it and then share that with your partners across the business, your CEO, whomever it may be, and then be okay with making that decision. So I think, you know, just hearing someone talk about really complex geopolitical issues or other matters um, and how they came to that uh, decision is, is an interesting read um, that may not seem, you know, obvious if you want a business context. Well, I don't think we've had it before. So thank you. We're always interested in getting new books. So that's a, that's a, a nice choice for us. Thank you. Um, we're up to our final question where we ask you to look back and share with us your priorities now going forward the next 12 months, your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months. Sure. Um, so one of the things that we're very focused on, um, you know, we've established, as we mentioned, this, this baseline and, and ability to provide information to the business, but where we're looking to go in the future is to really establish a ways to have our managers take accountability and ownership of the decisions they make, but by equipping them with the right set of data. So in simple terms, you know, the management team has had the benefit of some of these activities that we've done, but we haven't necessarily permeated that across the business. And so if we're going to continue to grow, we need that information to be made available to a broader set of individuals so they can feel confident making those decisions um, and being you know, empowered by the the quality of the data that we give to them, and so um, that's really where we're we're focused. And the goal is again to it's more of a almost a management training goal across the organization of of accountability and taking ownership. Sachin Patel, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you as well, Jack. Appreciate it. don't forget, we're always happy to hear from you. Drop me an email at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. As always, thank you for listening.